In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When does it feel like Christmas to you? Shopping on Black Friday? Putting up Christmas decorations or the Christmas tree or even hearing Christmas carols? Well, for me, the feeling of Christmas begins with the queen of all worship services on Christmas Eve. I feel that Christmas is very close when I walk into the nave and pass the organist who is brushing up on the festive music that we will be singing later that evening. It's even closer when vesting and sometimes picking out a most special white chasuble with gold embroidery that was gifted to St. John's a number of years ago. In fact, it gets even closer when helping the thurifer light the incense with real frankincense on Christmas Eve and praying silently that our piety doesn't burn the church down. And it's closer even yet when parishioners stand and the altar party begin to process to, oh, come all ye faithful. And as the altar party nears the crash in the chancel, one of the youngest children of the parish, who has been gingerly cradling the baby Jesus in their arms since the beginning of the service, places the Christ child in the manger while we sing, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. At that point, I want to shout out, shout out Merry Christmas, because all the beauty and the mystery of the Christmas season is contained in that very moment. The phrase in the hymn, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, comes to us from the gospel reading this morning. And the word became flesh and lived or dwelt among us. So what does this phrase mean? Let's begin at the beginning. And what does it mean to become flesh? The Holy Scriptures speak about God appearing in a burning bush to Moses or in a pillar of cloud as to the children of Israel, or even in a dream as recorded to the Magi. But on Christmas, God, the second person of the Trinity, takes on flesh, just like you and me, and enter this world, just like you and me, as a baby. This brings me back to a Sunday school class with teenagers a number of years ago, when for some reason we didn't have anybody in the nursery. So one of the teens brought in their baby brother, who was full of energy. For the first few minutes, I must admit, I was a little annoyed at having this baby as a distraction in the class. But the whole class was transformed when I got derailed from my lesson plan and we began talking about Jesus at one time being the same age as the baby. Right there in the middle of the room who now became one of the best Sunday school props I ever had. A Jesus in the flesh, a Jesus that gets hungry and tired, a Jesus that works and plays, that has friends and has those who want to do him harm, 
who has a mother who learns how to work with his hands and to live in a community. This was a Jesus that the children could relate to, the teens could relate to, for they were also creatures of flesh. And because we shared the same flesh, we shared the same experiences of life. Which brings us to the second idea. And the word became flesh and lived or dwelt among us. Well, so what does it mean to live or to dwell? Now, the etymology of the Greek word, as many of you know, is to pitch a tent. It's not meant to be a brief visit, but to stay and to become part of a person's life. Different Christian cultures express this image of living or dwelling in a number of different ways. The Maasai people of Kenya and Tanzania understand this living or dwelling as Jesus, quote, always going on safari with them. Now, when we hear that phrase in North America, going on safari, we think of expeditions to see large game animals. And in fact, the Maasai are privileged to live within some of the best game reserves in Africa. But for them, safari means companions taking an extended journey together, to get up together in the morning, to walk together throughout the day as they travel, to eat dinner together in the evening, and before settling in for the night at the end of the day, to share stories. Jesus being on safari is their way of describing Jesus as portrayed in the Gospels, being with his disciples, traveling to Jerusalem, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And by the way, when the Messiah talk about the death and resurrection of Christ, they say, and I love this image, they say, he lay buried in the grave, but the hyenas do not touch him. But that sermon will have to wait until Holy Week. And this last phrase, Christmas is about community. The Gospel of John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It does not say the word came just to me. In Christmas, the word is experienced corporately. It's part of the very nature of God to form community, to dwell with people that he created. And not just in some virtual way with images, but really, really in the flesh. And at this point in writing the sermon, I had a much better understanding why this year has been so hard. Consider the many hits our communities have taken this year. Many community building events from the Olympics in Tokyo to parades in Dubuque to the 75th annual fish fry up in Cornucopia, Wisconsin that we always attend, they were all canceled. Important family gatherings 
birthday parties, celebrations, graduations, weddings, and funerals were all impacted. It's been so difficult to be community during this past, past year. And the social distancing has made it very difficult to dwell or to go on safari with each other. To contain the spread of virus, we have limited our time with those outside our immediate households. We maintain a distance of six feet and we're especially careful when we're indoors. It's hard to dwell with people if you can't get close together with them and dwell with them. And to be together in the flesh has been impossible. It's of the very nature of God and of human beings who were, who were created in God's image to live together in the flesh. God created a physical world and not just a virtual world of ideas. And I began to realize that one thing I miss so much this year is the physicality of worship in our tradition. Christians worship the God of creation by using all five senses. Although we begin with sight and sound, it includes taste and smell and touch. I miss tasting the goodness of God as we partake of the gifts of God for the people of God when we share the Eucharist. I miss walking into St. John's with, I must admit I was looking for a word here, I miss walking into St. John's with its unique scent of its history. Decades of lit candles, hints of fragrance from the Sunday altar flowers, an occasional reminder of incense still hovering in the air, surrounded by careful, carefully maintained church furnishings that have witnessed thousands of services in the building's 150-year history. I miss feeling my aging knees resting on the kneelers while praying and seeking God's forgiveness. I miss the hugs, the handshakes, or even a nod during the peace. We were not created to live in a digital world. We were not created to do all our communication on social media, as important as that, as that has been this year. We were not created to hold conversations by way of computer monitors and cell phones. We were created in the flesh with real bodies, with five senses. And at Christmas, we are reminded that we worship an incarnate God who came to us in the flesh and the best way to worship this God is with our whole bodies. That's why we were made. And that's why the word became flesh. Even though our flesh will return to dust someday, we confess in our creeds that we will be raised with new resurrected bodies in God's good time. We do not hold a virtual faith, but a real faith that rejoices in the material and physicality of the world.
So what to do? Within the Christian moral tradition, there are three important theological virtues, the virtues of faith, of hope, and love. They don't come to us naturally. We need to seek God's help as we practice them as Christians. And, over, and with practice, they become strengthened. Though Christmas is often associated with love, this year, I associate Christmas with the virtue of hope. Christian people are a people of hope. Our liturgical year, Advent, begins by affirming our hope in Christ's second coming as we prepare our hearts for his, uh, to commemorate his first coming in Bethlehem. And the liturgical year ends in hope by proclaiming as Christ the King who will bring peace and love to the whole world. Hope is an optimism, although hope is optimistic. Hope is the profound sense that God is good, that God dwells within our midst and will walk with us whatever we will face. Hope is not just like a mental assessment and agreement in the mind, but a partaking of the goodness of a gift before the gift comes to us. Hope has the ability to bring the goodness of something to come into the, that's coming in the future into the present in a very vivid way. True hope contains the seeds of physicality, of, material, of a materiality we as, that we as creatures so desire. Remember back to our Christmas Eve services walking in the nave with the glowing red candlelight coming from the alcoves and the pew candles down the main aisle, the evergreen Christmas uh, wreaths hanging on the white marble, marble reredos of the high altar, families shoveling, uh, shuffling into church from the cold, finding their pews as the organ plays Christmas carols. Hope brings to the present but we will enjoy at some future time. It is the promise of God's enduring goodness during times that can be quite difficult. Christian hope allows us to see the beauty of worship, hear the joy of song, imagine the smell of the church, taste the Eucharistic elements and touch of Christian brothers and sisters, even if at a distance. Hope is not letting the difficulties of the present keep us from a joyful affirmation of what is to come. By practicing hope through the agency of the Holy Spirit, we live today in a manner that affirms the goodness of what God will be doing tomorrow. Hope is like a parent letting a child hold their present days before they open it on Christmas Eve. Or better yet, Hope is like tasting the cookie batter before putting the cookies in the oven. Or even better yet, hope is like smelling the Christmas dinner as it cooks in the kitchen. Christians are people of hope, and this has been a very hard year. 
And there may be days that get us down, but we are never without hope. As I have said before, this isn't God's first pandemic, and God will guide St. John's through it just as God guided St. John's through the Spanish flu of 1918. Christian hope energizes us as community to meet what seems to be insurmountable. We now know that for as long as necessary, the parish will gather each Sunday. Christian hope says, bring it on. Our love for worship is stronger than any virus, thanks be to God. COVID canceled the Olympics last summer, but it did not cancel Easter, Pentecost, All Saints, Christmas, and all the Sundays in between. COVID stopped several schools in the community from having graduations, but it couldn't stop Father Kevin's ordination in Muscadine or Susan's ordination to the diaconate last week. COVID closed restaurants, but it couldn't stop St. John's from serving the needy food on fifth Sundays. COVID has forced many offices to close, but the business of the church still goes on. This year has made St. John's more resilient and more creative than ever before in its history, a history that spans almost two centuries. Now, as we approach this new year, 2021, let us exercise this gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of hope. We will get through this. I can just feel it. Amen.